Think Red Ink Ministries presents The Words of Jesus series with Don C. Harris Hello, I'm Don Harris of Think Red Ink Ministries. Welcome once again to the Words of Jesus series. What are we doing here? Trying to re- reinforce Christianity with the wisdom and words of Jesus that it once had. There was a time when the church was built upon his words, upon his life, upon everything that he stood for. And today, he's just kind of been reduced to a few old gospel songs. And bless his heart, you know, Jesus doesn't know everything. I mean, he's not a Baptist. How could he know everything? (laughs) So uh, we have the idea, I think, many times that uh, we have a better understanding of the way things are or should be than our Lord Jesus did. And what he has is kind of antiquated. It's really not for us today. Um, you know, it's fine for those people in those days, but yeah, I don't know. You know, it needs to be upgraded. We need to have uh, the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, what do they? What do they call that? Uh, a version one or version two or revised or I don't know. Look, the fact is, is that um, well, who was it? Um, I forget who it was that said it. Oh, Thomas Carlyle said that Christianity has not uh, been 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 found to be, you know, faulty, and uh, and and people walk away from it. What it's been found to be is very difficult, and people never tried it. Okay, that's 20th century uh, translation of what he said, but that's really a fact. You know, what's wrong with Christianity is, is that it's never been tried. What's wrong with Christianity is not some list of grievances I may have with, with the conventional church down the road, but what's wrong with Christianity is many of us have never even seen it. I mean, some of the things that I'm telling you from the Sermon on the Mount, I mean, I know, I see you, I can't. You know, I can't. But, you know, I know your head's kind of cocked to one side and you're, staring at me like a calf at a new gate. You never heard anything like this before. Do you know it's been in your Bible all this time? I think that's occurring to some people. I get the emails. <laughs> all right, um, as we uh, uh, continue, just to finish off what we started, Jesus was talking to them about prayer, and he said that, um, that we should enter into our closet and pray in secret. Um, and the Lord that sees in secret will reward us openly. And, um, and he says that the Lord knows all the things that you have need of before you ask him. And then he tells us to pray after this manner. And he gives us what is commonly called the Lord's Prayer. But it's actually the disciples' prayer that he instructed them to pray. Now at the end of uh, uh, the Lord's Prayer, your Bible probably ends that prayer with, uh, for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. But, uh, you know, history and textual criticism over the years has taught us that uh, this was an addition that was put upon this prayer because the person translating it, um, probably uh, having to something to do with the Septuagint, the Jewish influence on this was is that prayer shouldn't end in negative notes. Did you know that? And, uh, and that, so they didn't like the fact that Jesus ended this prayer saying, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. 
and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Uh, and that just didn't set right with them to be talking about evil when you end a prayer. Um, so uh, this was added, this little uh, glorification of God, thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever, amen. Uh, which is all based in that same idea that saying it makes it so. And, um, but it doesn't. And uh, so we have Jesus in in this prayer in one way, and, um, and we have whoever this translator was ending it in another way. And unfortunately, when they ended it in the new way, in this way of talking about the kingdom and the glory and the power and all this kind of thing, it causes an interruption in thought that I think separates these two verses um, and, and really shouldn't. Jesus, um, in this prayer of uh, this, what's called the Lord's Prayer, I'll probably be calling it the Lord's Prayer as well. Um, he says, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors uh, it's forgive us, and I think Matthew's rendition is forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And if we move the interrupter away, the next sentence is for, now when the, when the King James says for, it's, uh, it's perfectly legal and right to exchange that word for because. And so he's saying uh, to forgive us our debts because, and if you look in the book of Luke at this particular point when he's talking about this prayer, he says, forgive us of our debts because we forgive everyone their debts. We forgive everyone that's indebted to us. Now this is Jesus saying something uh, in order to plant a thought in their head. You better be able to pray this that you forgive everyone their trespasses. And let me ask you something, friend. Do you keep, do you hold grudges? Or is there somebody you're mad at? Somebody you don't want anything to do with? Somebody that you're out of fellowship with? Do you know there's nothing more important for you today, including, I mean, picking up the kids at school? <laughs> there is nothing more important for you today than to make those kind of things right and make sure that in your life, there is nothing but forgiveness that follows a transgression. Nothing. There's no getting even. There's no remuneration. There's not avenging your adversary or revenging people who have done you wrong. Uh, the only thing that's supposed to follow transgression is forgiveness. And Jesus is going to explain here. We've removed the interrupter from the Lord's Prayer so that it reads... Lead us, uh, that forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For, because, Jesus says, if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you forgive not men their, men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Now, it's not uncommon to find in common and conventional Christianity the idea of once saved, always saved. Some people say once saved, always safe. Um, 
But nevertheless, the concept that once a person is saved that they can never be lost, well, I happen to believe that. <laughs> but I believe it under the constraints of the definitions of the words that uh, were intended from the beginning. You ask me if I'm saved, I'm going to tell you, not yet. Not y- I intend on being. I'm being saved. I'm being transformed. Yeah, I'm, I'm doing the best I can. And, uh, you know, I, and I, I, my, my soul is at rest. I mean, I, I don't, I'm not concerned about my salvation or any of the rest of this stuff that, uh, that people need these, uh, you know, these little wooden promises for. But um, I'm not under the impression that uh, I am saved. It's a done deal. It's a signed contract. It's just, there's no way out of it. Because I've got a news for you. I don't care how saved you are. If you have unforgiveness in your heart, you have no assurance of your sins being forgiven. Well, not if you believe the Son of God. Not if you believe Him. You do believe him, right? <laughs> he says that if you don't forgive every man their trespasses, your heavenly Father is not going to forgive you your trespasses. So you're getting into the kingdom of heaven. How? How are you doing this? With unforgiveness in your heart, how are you going to accomplish this? You want to argue with me? You know. I'll give you 15 minutes to argue, but I'm not arguing this one long because we've got the words of Jesus Christ on this. He tells a story later in the Gospels about a man who owed, I think it was $13 million. He was forgiven of the debt. And um, the Bible says that he went out and found somebody who owed him 20 bucks, held him against the wall and said, pay me that thou owest. And that man begged of him. We're going we're gonna to deal with this in, in detail. That man begged of him the same way this man begged the king. And uh, he didn't let him off the hook. Well, it came to the townspeople. The townspeople realized what had happened. They went to the king and said, Look, you need to know what's happened. That fellow that you let off 13 million bucks? And he just almost choked a man to death for 20. Something's wrong there, king. King says, bring him here. They brought him before that king. That king says, you wicked servant. I forgave you all that debt. And you didn't have it in yourself to forgive your brother of a a minuscule part of that debt. Do you know what that king did? Do you think that he continued with his gift to the man of paying the debt? No, he didn't. Do you believe once saved, always saved? It's, it's a real concern. Because this king, well, you know, the Bible says that he removes our sins as far as the east is from the west. Throws them in the depths of the sea. Well, that's not erasing them. <laughs> the Bible says that so has, he, so has he removed from us those sins. He's removed those sins from us. Doesn't mean there's not a record of them. As a matter of fact, this king had the record books brought back out and said, you see this amount here? You're no longer forgiven of that. Pay that. That's your only way out now. You're going to have to pay this debt. 
I can't. Sorry. I'm going to sell you. I'm going to put you in jail. I'm going to sell your wife, sell your children. I'm going to sell everything that you own till this debt's paid. Well, he can't do that. I don't think you understand what a king is. I think you've been in America too long. I think you think that uh, we're all going to go to the democracy of God somewhere in heaven and that we you know and 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 worship a god that we elected as our president. I don't think you understand kingship. Kings can do what they want. It's called sovereignty. And as soon as you remove his sovereignty, oh there's a lot of people that like to talk about removing the divinity of Christ by not giving you not saying he was born of a virgin or not saying he's part of a trinity or not saying that he knows everything and he's everywhere at once or I don't know if they attach that to Jesus but but take all these characteristics of God. If you remove any of them, people you know, run around with their hair on fire saying, oh my goodness, you're taking the divinity of Christ. Well, let me tell you something that's uh, worse than that. It's taking the sovereignty of God. Do you really think he's bound to a book? Bound to ink on paper somewhere that commands that, demands that, and ensures that he save you because you recited some words to a preacher or out of a track somewhere? Are, are you, you're not that dense. Why do you think people struggle with the once saved, always saved doctrine? There's a lot of doctrines that nobody ever struggles with because they know them in their heart. They know them to be true in their heart. People struggle with once saved, always saved. This is why famous preachers Preach on it every other Sunday because there's not enough truth in it to stick in people's spirits. They know you can't live any way you want and still see the kingdom. They know that. They know it without a doubt. How is it again? Well, you know, you know did you ask Jesus to save you? Yeah, I did. And did he say he would? Well, yeah, well, the Bible says that he said that. Uh, if you believe on him, yeah, do you believe on him? Yes. Well, is he a liar? And, and they take you down these silly little convoluted things and, and, and leave some poor, straggling sinner sitting there. Now he's got a decision to make. Hmm, can I tell this preacher that I don't feel like anything's changed in me? Or, and, and, and in doing so, Call God a liar? Or can I just accept this and walk out of here whistling and make him, make him happy and me happy? and eh, I'll figure it out as time goes by. I'm afraid that's what we do. We cower. And we're afraid to believe what we know is so within our own being. We know these things aren't true. Jesus is making it clear here. You want to jeopardize your salvation? Let's see. Did he mention drinking whiskey? No. <laughs> doesn't mention smoking cigarettes. Doesn't mention saying poopy if you smash your finger with a hammer. Doesn't mention that. Well, what is it that can get us lost as a ball in high grass? Unforgiveness. Being unmerciful to people. Unmerciful to the whiskey drinking cigarette smoking guy that says poopy. <laughs> I'm sorry, but I mean, really, it's just that petty. It's just that ridiculous. Our church uh, environs 
are just that petty and ridiculous. And we are omitting the weightier matters of the law. Here he's giving us a warning. He's warning us. You cannot live with unforgiveness in your heart. You can't carry grudges and be Christian. You can't carry grudges and have your own sins forgiven. This is how it happens. It's how it's done. We either don't know this, we don't care, we overlay it with with sermons that come over our pulpit, but for some reason, we don't live this. We just don't live it. You may not be one who carries grudges. It may not be necessarily a, a problem for you, but I assure you it's a problem for some people. They can't forgive. They just can't. They can't do it. But they're still under some impression that they're Christian. Well, let's see if we can move on here. Um, He says, uh, Moreover, when you fast, be not as the hypocrites of a sad countenance, for they disfigure their faces, that they may appear unto men to fast. Verily I say unto you, they have their reward. But thou, when thou fastest, anoint thy head, wash thy face, and appear not unto men to fast, but unto thy Father which is in secret. And thy Father which seeth in secret shall reward thee openly. All of these instructions that we just got finished reading all seem to follow this pattern, don't they? This, um, uh, the relationship with God, the discussion, the, the, the working out our salvation, the, uh, you know, the logistics involved, the instruction obedience, the works, if you will, these are all to be carried out in, in secret. And then in public, he says he'll reward you openly. Man, that public reward is not just God announcing, hey, Don wrote a check in, in the closet this morning for a thousand bucks. No, that's, God's going to announce that. So he, uh, that's him rewarding me openly? No, it's not. Rewarding us openly is, you know, people walk up to you, they don't understand. They don't know. They don't give. They don't worship God. They don't know anything. You know what they do? They look at you and they say, you're the luckiest guy I ever saw. Man, does everything go your way? Do you just win at everything you do? You see, what's happening there? What's happening is the Lord's rewarding you openly. So when you fast and and you do these things properly and it's not a big show and it's not a Y'all pray for me this week. I've been fasting. And, you know, well, you know, you just blew it, didn't you? <laughs> uh, no, what, what they see is, is they see the, you know, the fruit of what you're doing. That's what makes you known worldwide, if you will. That's what makes you known in front of others. That's what, that's what we're after. It's the reward of what we do. That's what makes it, that's what, It means when he says he will reward you openly. The reward that you receive is going to be apparent to everybody. Um, Let's see. um, Let's read if we can. We got time, sure. Uh, We're going to continue and in in the Sermon on the Mount, and uh, this is some really good advice for every Christian today in our twenty first century. Lay up, not, lay up not for yourselves uh, treasures upon the earth where moth and rust doth corrupt, uh, 
and where thieves break through and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt, and where thieves do not break through nor steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. The light of the body is the eye. If therefore thine eye be single, thy whole body shall be full of light. But if thine eye be evil, thy whole body shall be full of darkness. If therefore the light that is in thee be darkness, how great is that darkness. Now, this particular section here is talking about us trying to balance, as Christians, the kingdom of God on the earth and the kingdom or the democracy or whatever, the country, the political structure or whatever it happens to be, um, uh, contrasting the the kingdom of God that we live in with the physical kingdom or country that we live in. Because um, Jesus is not under any impression that this kingdom of God that is on the earth is, is readily available to everybody and everybody can see and everybody can understand. And, you know, he, he's not under that impression at all. He knows that this kingdom that is on the earth is very difficult for us to see or understand. There's a beautiful story of uh, Elisha and Gehazi that are on a mountain uh, and they are about to be attacked by the enemy. Uh, Gehazi is, um, he is just, he's got his dress pulled up, running around the campfire, screaming and hollering. And he's just, he's worried sick about Israel. Um, and he's worried that the enemy is going to come and uh, destroy Israel right in front of both of them. They're going to see it happen. This is horrible. Look how many people there are. Look at the chariots. Look at the horses. Look at the swords. Look at how many men there are. And, uh, you know, they're bent on our destruction. And who knows all the stuff that he had to say. Elijah, on the other hand, is over there under a tree making himself a bologna sandwich or something. And, and he comes sit down and get something to eat. Relax. Relax. We can't relax. We're, we're all about to die. And Elijah, Elisha, offers a, um, a wonderful little prayer that uh, if, uh, if I thought the Lord would, would hear this prayer uh, for you and um, do, do these kinds of things essentially against your will, uh, I'd pray it. I'd pray it now. But Elisha just looked toward heaven and said, Lord, open the lad's eyes. And when he did, little Gehazi looked up and he saw the armies of God and the angels of God and gleaming swords and chariots and horses all around the tops of the mountains out there that were watching over Israel. And all of a sudden, Gehazi could settle down and have his sandwich. What happened? Those angels were always there. They didn't just come. They've always been there. Elisha knew they were there. That's why he was calm. But Gehazi didn't. That's why he wasn't. Remember Nicodemus? Comes to the Lord. And he's there, obviously, to talk about the kingdom of God, being born again. And 
Jesus is trying to tell them that all these things kind of interweave with one another. How's that? Un- unless a man is born again, I know we all quote the section of this scripture that says he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. But do you notice that just before this, he tells Nicodemus, unless a man is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. You show me somebody that's upset and running around thinking that their life has fallen apart and what can I do and oh, oh heaven help me and oh God I've prayed and nothing's happened and, and I've done this and I've done that and I just don't know what to do and I'm at my wit's end and I'm not making fun of them. Look, I've been there. I know what that's like. I know that it hurts. My children don't love me and my my spouses run off and my you know, my money's dwindling and my car just blew up the other day and I, I know, I know. I'm not making light of it. But that's not a person that can see the kingdom of God. It's just really not. How can you see the kingdom of God? Know that all the angels that have ever been created are sent forth to minister to those which shall be heirs unto salvation. There's salvation in the future again, by the way. But the angels have been sent to minister to those which shall be heirs. How can you not see the kingdom of God and and have hope? How can you not have hope and see it? If... uh, if we understood, I think, that this, this idea of, of seeing the kingdom of God, I think we would better understand where Jesus is saying, look, this kingdom is a very real thing, and here's what I see you doing. I see you banking on the physical, banking on the flesh, banking on this world to get you out of trouble, when this world is what's putting you in trouble. You need to set up for yourselves accounts in heaven. You need to make sure that whatever you give, that you're giving to the kingdom of God. Because where your treasure is, that's where your heart is. He goes on to explain exactly why we just can't seem to do that. Your eye's not single. Okay, you're scratching your head and saying, What? (laughs) My eye's not single. No, if your eye were single, we wouldn't have these problems. Time's gone. (laughs) Sorry about that. But uh, we'll take it up here tomorrow. And we'll talk about this single eye and the darkness that seems to plague mankind's soul. All right, that's it for this time. Uh, we'll, We'll catch you next time. Until then, I want you to write to me. You've been listening to Don C. Harris of Think Red Ink Ministries. Email don at thinkredink.com. That's thinkredink.com.
join us again for the next episode in the Words of Jesus series.